Welcome back to the Inside Story with RLLC. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Rebecca Resnick about ADHD and executive functioning. Hi, Dr. Resnick. How are you? Hi, it's great to be with you. We're so happy to have you here. I just want to have you start with introducing yourself, talking about who you are and what you do. Okay, so I am a licensed psychologist in Maryland. I have a private practice where I get to work with fantastic other psychologists and therapists, and we do testing and therapy. Uh, I personally specialize in neuropsychological testing, which basically means that I had to spend a lot of extra time in school learning about the brain and how it works and what happens when it doesn't work the way we expect it to. And I do testing, so testing for things like ADHD, learning disabilities, autism, intellectual disability, um, adjustment disorders, all sorts of anything that kind of can go wrong with development is when I get called in to help. Um, So that is what I do. So my background is in special education, where I concentrate in learning disabilities and behavior problems. And you can believe me that being a special ed teacher is a thousand times harder than being a psychologist. So I have much respect for people out there in the trenches trying to help kids in schools. Yeah. I love that your background is in special education. That is such an amazing field. I believe believe you when you say it's... (laughs) It is really tough. Very difficult. Very difficult. I believe it. Well, um, you mentioned your practice and you mentioned that you're in Maryland. So if people were looking to find you in Maryland or also like online to find your practice in the ether, (laughs) where would they go? They would go to resnickpsychology.com and we do refer across the bridge to RLLC and places in Northern Virginia all the time. Um, People often travel back and forth for, for the right therapist, for the right testing. So We love our Virginia and DC partners. So Resnick is spelled R-E-S-N-I-K. There's no C. It's one of those Jewish Ellis Island names where you got mangled and there's like five different ways to spell it. What I always say is if there's a C, it's not me. So it's Resnick R-E-S-N-I-K. I love that. Okay, perfect. And I'll put that um, in the show notes so that if people are looking for you, they know exactly where to find you. Amazing. Well, if you're ready, I'm ready to just hop right in. You drive. All righty. So first and foremost, so we get just a really good baseline. What is ADHD? And maybe if you want to uh, go into this as well, what is ADD as compared to ADHD? Okay. So that's when I, I get all the time. So ADHD and all the other psychological and psychiatric problems, glitches that we could have, they're all Um, described in what's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. That is the DSM. And the American Psychiatric Association publishes that based on their conceptualization of here's what a disability is and here's how it's different from another disability. So ADHD was collapsed into one big category. There used to be ADD and ADHD, and those two were separated out by was the person hyperactive or not. Or as they get older, was the person particularly impulsive, um, intolerant of boredom, needing a lot of stimulation? Um, But now it's all under ADHD, which is kind of frustrating for a lot of us in the field because it's such a wide spectrum of the kinds of problems that the same basic problem, paying attention and controlling impulses can create in your life that you can have vastly different people who both get the same diagnosis. Um, 
but it's not two diagnoses anymore. It's just the one. So whether you're hyperactive or extremely daydreamy and inattentive, you're still going to get a diagnosis of ADHD. Um, what it really is, is its core is it is not that you can't pay attention. Um, and I hear that all the time, even from people who should know better, like pediatricians and teachers, they'll say, oh, this kid can pay attention. So it can't be ADHD. Well, that's not true at all. Um, ADHD is a neurobiological disorder. That means it's not a character flaw. It has to do with how your brain functions and how it controls how your body functions. It's really marked by two major areas. One is immature ability to control your attention. It is not that you can't pay attention, it's that you can't control your attention. So if you think of your attention as a spotlight, think of yourself in a dark theater working the spotlight. If you want to see something and pay attention to it, you've got to shine your spotlight on it. And we need to shine our spotlight on things that are the most important. Like when we're driving, we need to shine that attentional spotlight on the road and not be texting or not be picking up a sippy cup off the bottom of the floor. For our kids with ADHD, their attentional spotlight can go all over the place. And maybe it's less like a spotlight and more like the house lights come up and everything is catching their attention all the time. Um, so as we get older, we get better at orienting our spotlight, focusing it on the most important thing and keeping it focused there for as long as we need to, to get stuff done. That's how our attention system matures over time. When you can't control your spotlight, we call that distractibility or inattention. And those symptoms of distractibility and inattention are part of an ADHD diagnosis. The other piece is that you have what's called behavioral disinhibition, which is a really important sounding way to say that you can't put the brakes on as much as you need to. And this is impulsivity. This is when your brain is having a hard time telling you, don't do that. It would be a mistake. Um, don't sit and play Minecraft or Roblox for four hours when you've got homework to do. That frontal lobe of the brain needs to tell us to do the harder thing, even when it's not as much fun or we don't really want to. As we get older, we get better at forcing ourselves to do hard and boring things. I mean, that's what adulting is all about. For people with ADHD, it's not that they don't want to do the right thing or they don't want to put in work or get a good grade or do whatever it is they need to do. It's that that frontal lobe of their brain has a hard time inhibiting their impulses and helping them stay focused on a goal for a long time. So you find people who um, make a lot of impulsive mistakes or make a lot of um, unwise judgments or just blurt out the wrong thing or the kid who gets up out of their seat and the teacher saying, you know, you need to sit down and focus on your math worksheet. So again, this really isn't a character flaw. This is about a brain difference. It's not something a person can control. Right. Okay. I didn't realize that ADHD had now been, ADD and ADHD had been under now a blanket of just ADHD. That is very interesting. And I have to imagine- yeah very frustrating. Um, frustrating for parents and for clinicians. Like yeah. they didn't ask my opinion before. <laughs> Ditto with autism. They took all of the yep. autism spectrum disorders we used to have, and they just dumped them in one category and it's autism now. So um, when we don't have granularity, it does get frustrating. Yeah. I can imagine. I have um, some friends, one who was diagnosed with ADHD um, a while ago, and then one that was diagnosed with ADD and they are, they're very different, right? They like the way that their brains work and you can see it just in how they react to things in the world. So 
if they had been diagnosed recently and they both had ADHD, that would be like, they'd be like, I don't, and obviously everyone's different. Right. But you can clearly see a difference in those two things. Exactly. And that, that sort of real world um, smell test, if you will, can make it really complicated because we, we see um, a lot of kids who haven't been referred to us, even though they've been having problems for a while. Um, and the parents will hear like, oh, he's just a boy. He'll talk when he wants to. Um, he just doesn't want to read. I have three boys, so I, I do tend to drop into he, him pronouns. Um, but, you know, and, and a lot of our gifted kids, a lot of our kids of color um, are just sort of written off as being either lazy or like they don't want to please their teacher. They don't want to work hard. And that's an unfortunate source of bias as well that keeps a lot of kids from getting diagnosed properly. Yeah. Well, on the topic of diagnosis, how early can kids be diagnosed? Because I think often it ends up being like they get into the middle of elementary school and their people start to notice things. You hope. Um, right. So for, for some kids, you can practically diagnose them in the womb um, because they're <laughs> like my my oldest biological kid just kicked the bejesus out of me oh. through the whole pregnancy. I was like, I know what I'm I know what I'm getting with this one. <laughs> But the, the official um, diagnostic threshold is that you can start with your diagnosis and treatment at age four. That's per the American Academy of Pediatrics. And what the American Academy of Pediatrics does is, is go and review all of the literature and try to figure out um, what's typical development versus what are we seeing that is going off track in some way that might need attention and care and extra interventions. So uh, before age four, we can often see where a kid is headed. So it's not like if you have a two-year-old who's biting the other kids at daycare, you have to say, oh, you know, I've got to wait until they're eight or, oh, I've got to wait until they're four. Not at all. We, we know from many years of research, and I'm 48, so I've read a lot of research now. Um, we know that the earlier you intervene when a kid is starting to have trouble um, meeting expectations, the better. It's not only cheaper, it's faster to fix a little problem than to wait for it to balloon up into a big problem. Um, I'm sure you see this a lot at our, our LLC where you get kids who somebody said, oh, you can't do anything until they're in third grade. And by the time they're in third grade um, and you're ready to start your reading intervention or your behavior intervention, um, you know, that, that kid is a very frustrated person. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, our gifted kids tend to get diagnosed a lot later. Girls get diagnosed a lot later in part because their symptom presentation doesn't tend to um, get on other people's nerves, <laughs> to be totally honest with you. Like yeah. you're, you're sort of stereotypical hyperactive boy who is jumping up and down and running around and out of their seat. Um, as Dr. Sam Goldstein, editor of the Journal of Attention, talks about is a kid has to irritate like three different people across three different settings for more than three months. So he calls it like the rule of threes. Yeah. Um, the kids who get on adults' nerves are the ones who tend to get identified um, sooner. Your quiet kid who is smart enough to get by and sort of secretly daydreaming all day or just out in La La Land, um, those kids often get missed and sometimes aren't even diagnosed until their own kids are evaluated. They've just wow. sort of been quietly suffering and getting by for a really long time without any help. Um, and eventually the cracks start to show and the wheels come off and you, you do hope that somebody gets help at that point before it really snowballs out of control. Yeah. 
So what are some of the early red flags that you may see in the home or in the classroom? I know you said <laughs> someone, three different adults have to be annoyed for three months. <laughs> but Yeah, that's not mine. That's Dr. Goldstein's. <laughs> right. um, yeah. But yeah, what are those early uh, red flags? Okay. I'm going to quote Dr. Goldstein again, because yeah. he, he went and surveyed a whole bunch of teachers. And he asked teachers, what are you seeing with a kid with ADHD? And what he discerned out of that was that these kids have trouble with stop, start, and finish. They don't stop doing whatever it is that's getting on your nerves when they should. They don't start their work independently when you need them to, or they don't start following directions with a lot of prompting and supervision and one-on-one. And they don't finish things. They may get started, but then they run out of gas or they may uh, rush and rush and rush and rush to try to get a task done before they lose focus completely. And so you not only get your rushers who speed through everything and do kind of a terrible job, but you also get your kids who um, they can get started, but then they run out of gas and you see them, you know, sitting and playing with paper clips instead of writing their essay or whatever god awful thing they're supposed to be doing <laughs> in the classroom. <laughs> right. That is so hard for them. Right. So you can often see that there's behavioral issues starting to come up even in preschool, even in daycare. So what we do when we first meet someone is we want to hear all about what this person was like, you know, from the moment their little personality started to reveal itself. What we're often hearing about preschool kids is that they're not sitting still during circle time. Okay. Um, circle time is a big one. you got to sit still and focus. They're often having trouble on the playground, they're up and moving around. They don't seem to focus as well when teachers are giving directions. And in elementary school, um, that's of course when the academic time is coming and you're expected to be a good little sheep and sit on your bottom <laughs> at a desk and do whatever it is they tell you to do. Um, even if you hate it and don't find it interesting at all, that, that self-control piece of just sucking it up and getting stuff done, that's an important part of getting through elementary school. And for our kids with ADHD who have impulse control problems, this is really hard for them. It is not that they don't want to please. It's not that they don't want to work. It is not that they don't want to learn, but their brain works differently and they just can't sit still and stay focused for long periods of time. And so this is often a kid you'll see in like say second grade where they're not attending closely enough to get all of their basic reading skills under their belt. Maybe they don't know their basic math facts or maybe when they hit third grade and they hit the years where they're trying to read whole chapter books, write whole book reports, do long math problems with a lot of steps that maybe they held on okay in those early years, but they start to fall apart as the work really ramps up. And I bet you guys at RLC get a lot of third graders because that's usually the year when kids hit the wall. Yeah. 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 So now that we understand kind of like what some of the red flags are, can you talk about ways to treat ADHD? Sure. So ADHD can be treated a lot of different ways. And um, one of the most effective ways, if you just want to get symptoms under control, is, is stimulant medication. Now, a lot of parents have very strong reactions to the idea of putting their kid on medication. And I certainly get that as a parent. We wrestled with that decision ourselves for my oldest bio kid. Um, the, the thing about the stimulants to remember is that they've been used since the 30s, and they are actually safer than a lot of other things you will put into your kid. 
Um, they are safer than Tylenol. Yeah, like 100 babies every year die um, and young children from from too much Tylenol. And yet when you've got a baby with who's teething, you're like, give me the Tylenol. <laughs> you know, yeah. I will do anything. But um, Tylenol is actually much more dangerous than the stimulants. And yet because we use stimulants to treat a mental health disorder as opposed to a physical disorder, you know, like if they're taking penicillin for strep throat, we don't think twice. But it has that sort of stigma and that discomfort if we're using it to treat a brain-related issue. Right. So the stimulants work pretty well. The trick is to get um, a prescriber who is not just handing you whatever drug samples happen to be in the drawer at the time, but yeah. somebody who's going to really think with you around who your kid is and and you know go with you on that journey of trying to find the right stimulant. It can be a bit of a roller coaster. It can really not be fun for families. Um, but stimulants are certainly not the only thing you can do. Um, one of the best things really that you can do, one of the most well-supported interventions for helping executive functioning and attentional control is exercise. Nobody likes to hear that. Um, Everyone's like, oh, can I get a computer software? Can I get a new drug? Can I get a patch? Exercise blows so many other psychological and psychiatric treatments out of the water. If our kids could have more physical exercise, like before school, during the school day and after school, we see a really nice reduction in problematic symptoms. Um, And unfortunately, schools now are cutting back on recess all the time. The private schools have figured out that offering more recess and PE every day is actually a huge selling point. So you're paying tuition for your kid to have less time on task, Um, but that's what they need. Um, that's yeah. exactly what kids need. Kids are kids are movers. They need to move. They need to blow off steam. Um, so you've exercised. You have improving sleep, particularly for our teenagers. Wow. We see a lot of teenagers come in, and the parents, you know, and the teenagers are saying they can't focus. Well, guess what? If you get five or six hours of sleep a night, well, yeah, of course you can't focus. Yeah. Your brain is like the porta potties at the end of reggae fest. I mean, they're <laughs> full. <laughs> They're full of all sorts of bad stuff that your brain didn't get a chance to clean out. Of course, they're not functioning. And of course, you're irritable and in a bad mood. Ditto with controlling diet. And I'm not saying you have to feed your kid organic kale um, and nothing but. Um, but keeping keeping your kid on a diet that is, um, you know, providing them with good lean protein, lots of fiber, good vitamins, lots of omega-3s, and not causing a lot of fluctuations in their bloodstream and not inundating them with caffeine, that helps a lot. Wow. Okay. Very interesting. So you said the stimulants are a really good way, but if you are, you know, looking to treat without medication, exercise and diet, which you know, most people say that is the key to life. It is a <laughs> in key general. to life. And this is, yeah, this is our, our bodies and our brains are, are connected. If we take care of our bodies, our brains function better, our stress level goes down, our level of stress hormones goes down. Yeah. And of course, psychotherapy is um, another really important treatment. The nice thing about the stimulants is they take the symptoms down, you hope, yeah. to a more manageable level but they don't teach kids skills and ADHD gets its tentacles into all sorts of areas of life. Um, A lot of times your friendships and your relationships with other people. And if you can learn some skills to to avoid, you know, saying something that's going to get on your teacher's nerves or cost you a friendship or get you kicked out of a soccer team, 
that's really important because we're social animals. We we need our kids to have good relationships and good friendships. And sometimes their ADHD symptoms make it really hard for them. And then you, you see kids who they want desperately to have friends, but nobody wants to invite them over because they are the loud kid or the kid who gets in trouble or the kid who, you know, never gets the gold star on the, the good behavior chart. Yeah. So um, in terms of like, therapy and treatment, um, what would you guys do in office, if that makes sense? So for for psychotherapy, it's going to vary a lot depending on the kid's age and just who that child is as a person, like their level of insight. Obviously, with a younger kid, you need to bring in more things that are going to feel like play and feel like art. And um, the real important thing for, for young kids is to help them get a sense of their emotions and what they feel like that leads them to make mistakes and how to become more mindful and learn self-control, impulse control, start to anticipate what could happen if they do a particular thing. You know, if I bite Timmy, I'm probably not going to be, you know, asked to play with Timmy after that. It's not a, not a good scene. Um, For the teenagers, a lot of times they have years of anxiety and frustration and underachievement, all that emotional baggage, and they need some cognitive behavior therapy to learn some better ways to cope. Um, some of some of the problem with ADHD is that it, it does put kids at, at somewhat higher risk for anxiety, depression, um, uh, substance use, um, car accidents. I mean, you name it, kids with ADHD are at higher risk. And if we can intervene early, then we can help prevent some of those unfortunate outcomes from happening. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Well, very cool hearing about all the different kinds of um, treatments that there are. It's interesting because you know, uh, sometimes I feel like most of the time you just hear the medication portion, um, or, you know, that's what people are used to hearing. And so it's nice to hear there kind of a couple different ways to intervene. Oh, there's many ways to intervene. I mean, big pharma has the deepest pockets, right? Oh, You're yeah. not going to see Rebecca Resnick and Associates, you know, advertising on your, you know, right. on your latest podcast or on Netflix <laughs> or something. Um, but, you know, just because the stimulants come from, you know, big pharma, I know there's a lot of mistrust and, and rightly so, it doesn't mean these things, it doesn't mean these things can't help. And it doesn't mean that a lot of these medications aren't really good for a lot of kids. They oh, yeah. really do help. Um, so I, I do understand the natural suspicion against drug companies to be sure. Yeah. Um, my next question about ADHD is a little different. And I think some, something that we see at RLLC is does ADHD coexist with other disorders? Well, you already know the answer. I do know the answer to that. (laughs) There's a huge co-occurrence rate um, between ADHD and reading disorders in particular, which is where um, the folks at RLLC can help. And uh, we think very highly of your practice. Thank you. So, um, you know, ADHD, when when you can't pay attention, it impacts everything you do. Um, But particularly for school-age children, it's impacting, you know, potentially the most important thing they are learning during those early years of elementary school, which is the basic reading skills. So the early years of elementary school are that those learn to read years, right? Where they have to become sensitized to all the patterns in English orthography. And if your attentional spotlight is wavering all over the place um, and you're 
constantly, you know, getting up out of your chair, it's hard for that to stick. Um, some kids do okay with the first couple of years. And then um, the reading problems hit in third grade because their attentional spotlight is all over the place. They can't sustain close focus on reading textbooks and things like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or whatever it is they have to read. And so they become what we call surface readers, which is where if you ask them to read aloud, they look like they're fine. And everybody says, oh, you know, their Fontas and Pinnell level is just fine. What are you complaining about, parents? Stop being a helicopter parent. But the parent knows darn well that this kid is really not understanding and absorbing the information. Um, and so that can be a very frustrating thing. So ADHD creates a lot of problems outside of the classroom as well, and it can even impact kids' leisure activities like their ability to be a good soccer player or get picked for the team or to remember their equipment or to be a Boy Scout, Girl Scout, whatever it is. If you're having trouble focusing, you're having trouble planning, having trouble with start, stop, and finish, it's going to impact your leisure activities as well. And so a lot of our kids with ADHD develop anxieties and develop depressed mood. Depressed mood in kids and teens generally looks more like irritability and cooperative behavior and not like they're going around crying. So a lot of times it's missed. And uh, of course, as you move on in the curriculum, if you're having trouble with your attentional spotlight, you have a lot of trouble when it comes time to do things like long division and multiplying numbers over 100 and solving for two equations or solving quadratic equation in math. So it tends to hit you in a lot of different places. And of course, attention problems are also part of autism spectrum disorders, um, sometimes other developmental uh, differences like um, micro deletions and genetic differences. Pretty much attention is like the foundation of learning. And so when that goes wrong, all sorts of other things can go wrong. And this is why testing, in my opinion, is so important because you never, you just about never see a kid who only has like super pure ADHD that never impacts any other area of their life. Right. Um, that pretty much just never happens. And using just rating scales to diagnose a kid, uh, kids can be showing you impulsive behavior, low frustration tolerance, um, distractibility for a lot of reasons. You know, maybe they're anxious, maybe they've been abused, maybe they don't feel good. Um, maybe they're depressed. Um, maybe they're having trouble with reading. There's a million reasons why a kid can be presenting with those symptoms. So a, a good psychologist or psychiatrist is going to go beyond just checking off the boxes for a symptom checklist and really try to understand your kid as a person. Yeah. Um, and I know you wrote a book on ADHD and I just wanted to add it in here. Um, you kind. <laughs> Well, I figured it would be a great place for parents um, and like just families to kind of start understanding ADHD. So I wanted you to be able to kind of share a little bit about that as we, before we hop into talking about executive functioning. <laughs> yeah. A couple of times a year, I get a check for like $36 for Ooh, that. Yes. Um, I, I, I wrote that book really for my mom and for my patients. Um, yes. So when my mother was young, my brother was diagnosed with very severe dyslexia. And she, of course, is dyslexic herself and never realized it. And she had to start completely from scratch trying to figure out how to help him and what to do about it. And I didn't want other parents to go through that. So there, there was a lot of good information out about dyslexia, but not so much really, I felt like was easy and quick for a parent to pick up, read about ADHD and sort of be good to go in about an hour. 
And so that's that was like the point of the whole book um, is just to walk you through. Here's what the science says. Here's what you're likely to encounter. Here's how you know if you got a good diagnosis. So it's it's just a really easy to read um, book to get you started. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely going to link link that in the show notes so that people can access it because I think it would be super helpful. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. It, it wasn't exactly fun to write, so I, <laughs> I'm sure I, it was I hope it, I hope it does some good in the world. Yeah, I I mean I I believe it already has. <laughs> well, um, I know we chatted about ADHD and we mentioned a little bit about executive functioning, but I want to hop over there and kind of define that and chat a little bit about that. So if you wouldn't mind just giving us the baseline of what executive functioning is. So executive functioning is anything goal-directed that your brain tries to do. Anything from studying for a test, preparing a meal, um, planning an outdoor trip, um, you know, planning how you're going to score a goal in soccer or sink a three-point shot in basketball, anything that your brain has to figure out how it's going to accomplish it. And so that sounds really simple. Um, kids with ADHD really struggle, again, with start, stop, and finish. They have a very hard time with planning, getting started, seeing a task through, remembering all the stuff that they need to do to get the task done, and knowing when they're finished. A lot of times we can see the executive functioning problems when kids are trying to write, like if they're trying to write a paragraph, an essay, something that requires a lot of planning, close focus, attention to detail, knowing when you're done, long division. If you have a kid who um, is really struggling with long division, sometimes that's an executive functioning problem that can help you start thinking, hmm, you know, I'm seeing problems here. Maybe there's problems in other areas too. Um, For high school kids, they have a really hard time with the executive functioning aspect of high school, middle school too, you know, getting prepared for class, remembering what you're supposed to do, that sort of prospective memory, remembering to do stuff in the future, negotiating with teachers, um, remembering to bring their cleats. Uh, These kids also have a very, very difficult time uh, understanding how long something's going to take. And this is a big source of headbutting with parents of older kids because the parent knows how long the homework should take. And you often find the young person sitting and wasting time on not leaving them enough time to get the chores done, get the homework done. They're often terrible at studying because studying requires a lot of planning, a lot of metacognitive thought. How am I going to get this done? How will I know that I've studied well? So these kids have trouble figuring out how much time something's going to take them. And they have a really bad ability to assess how much time has passed. So you may say to your kid, okay, in five minutes, you need to shut down the computer um, and come down for dinner and set the table. And you may go up a half an hour later and there's your young person with ADHD happily watching their 50th YouTube video. And it's not that they meant to disobey you. It is that their brain just hyper-focused on that video And they lost all awareness of the fact that you told them five minutes. So we see a lot of kids who are struggling a lot with procrastination. And again, it's not that they're lazy. It's just that their little brains are not giving them those important cues that they need to get up and do the hard thing, even if it's not the fun thing. So if... 
you know, if someone's kid has um, an executive functioning disorder, what can they kind of like do at home? Um, we talked about what you're going to see at home or in the classroom, but what can they do to kind of assist? So I would recommend, um, first of all, talking with the, the school team. And it can be difficult to get the school team on your side if they don't see the, they don't really see the problem. So they may say, well, your kid's on grade level, you know, again, stop being a helicopter parent, stop wasting our time. Uh, And it can be really hard to enlist their help. But there are a lot of great like speech pathologists and, and educational advocates and psychologists out there who can help you navigate that process. If you're hitting a wall, I recommend bringing in a professional instead of trying to go it alone. Um, So when your kid is very young, getting some parent coaching or working with like a speech path or a tutor or reading specialist or somebody who can really help you be as proactive as possible, like setting up structures, routines, reminders um, to support your kid's executive functioning. As your kid gets older, you as the parent really don't want to be doing that because it's very easy for parents to slip into becoming a homework police and the nagging parent who, instead of you know having any good times with their kid, is constantly you know feeling like they have to be the policeman and go around and nag. You know, have you done this? Stop doing that. Go do this. Did you walk the dog? Did you blah blah blah? And that's not a pleasant way to have your household. I mean, we we as parents have enough things that we have to make our kids do that they don't want to do. If on top of that, you're trying to be their tutor and executive functioning coach and reading intervention specialist, you really can wreck your relationship in your home life. Um, so I always recommend bring in a professional sooner rather than later. You know, it's it's just like a mechanic. Don't wait until your brake pads are like non-existent. <laughs> right. You know, get 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 stuff taken care of on a routine basis. Get a professional who will teach you what they know about how to help your kid. So the professional can get you started with things like um, setting up the child's workspace, organizing their schedules, teaching them to use technology. And then hopefully if they um, have done enough of that and put those supports in place, then the parent and the kid can run with it and become more independent over time. Because that's really the goal. We don't want our kids completely dependent and always looking to us for help, you know, we want them remembering their cleats um, by themselves or, you know, doing their homework by themselves, you know, getting getting from start, stop and finish to, you know, independent and successful without us always being on their backs. Yeah. So the specialist that you're referring to, is that an executive functioning specialist or is this like, what, who are they? What do they do? <laughs> so it varies a lot. And um, you, you have to, be aware that anybody can put up a pretty website and say that they are a specialist, a coach, an advisor. Um, There's no restrictions on using those titles. But then there are people like Susan, who is a speech-language pathologist. And if somebody has a title like speech-language pathologist or um, LCSW or counselor or psychologist or psychiatrist, that means that they had to go to school get mentored, um, and apply for a license. So that means you know that they're qualified to do that job. So be really careful as you're looking for um, for like a coach. Um, and, and an ADHD coach is often what they're called. ADHD coach, executive functioning coach. It might be an educational specialist, might be a tutor. But you really do want to check that person's credentials. The last thing you want is somebody who says, you know, I'm a great ADHD coach because I have ADHD myself. 
it's like, oh, oh, okay, yes, that's possible that right. you are, but just having a disability and having lived experience doesn't necessarily mean it, you know anything about how to help somebody else. Right. So make sure you get somebody who, you know, is like a former teacher or former counselor or former administrator, somebody who you know, has really gone to school for a long time before you let them start um, influencing your kid. Right. So touching on other, like you said, administrators and teachers and stuff like that. So um, can children with executive functioning disorders uh, receive support at school as opposed to like you finding a coach? Well, I mean, or supplementing you having a coach at home as well. So it varies a lot. And, um, you know, obviously here in the Northern Virginia, D.C., um, you know, Montgomery County area, we're, we're very fortunate to have great public schools, thank goodness. Um, but it can still really be a fight. And when you're running into the most conflict with schools is when your child is still technically at grade level or your kid is not a behavior issue and so not getting on anyone else's nerves, right? Um, so you, you, your child doesn't have to be served by the public school system or a private school um, unless there's a diagnosis of some kind. So they may do some informal supports and a lot of private schools in particular will, will really help you out with things like letting your kid work with the learning specialist, giving them some extra help, um, maybe bringing in a tutor or reading specialist to help on site. And that's really fantastic. Um, a lot of times you can sometimes get what's called a 504 plan. And a 504 plan, that's part of the Americans with Disabilities Act that gives you um, accommodations. Um, people will sometimes tell you that kids with ADHD will never qualify for an individualized education program or IEP. That's the special ed in special ed. That's when the school's actually doing something right. um, aside from the, the straight up one size fits all instruction. And that's just not true. Um, a lot of kids with ADHD also have learning problems of some kind that, that really merit them getting some kind of special instruction. It's confusing um, for families to figure out, do we need to hire a tutor? Do we need to you know, get testing? Do we, need to, um, do we need to work with the school to try and get a 504? It's, um, it's often best to start with the school because, you know, they're already getting paid to do this. Right. Start with the school. And then if you don't get what you need out of the school, definitely don't wait around. Bring in an ADHD coach. Bring in a psychologist. Set up a consultation with somebody, um, you know, where you're paying for their time. So they're going to give you their undivided attention. Right. Bring in all the records. You meet with them and you say, you know, what do you think? And hopefully, if it's an ethical professional, they'll be able to point you towards the right kind of people who can help. Okay. Very cool. I think that is going to be incredibly helpful to our parents. Um, I'm sure a lot of them are looking around like, I have no idea what to do. I think that's a great um, direction for them to head in. So thank you for that. It's Yeah, it's overwhelming. And yeah. you can burn through thousands and thousands of dollars on things that don't work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, definitely you not the mommy blogs, not your mother-in-law, not your best friend, you know, find somebody who is, you know, an objective professional and pay for their time and meet with them and ask them to give you a plan. Um, you will save yourself a lot of heartache later on. I, I believe it. Well, those are all my questions that I have for you, but if you have anything you want to add that I didn't touch on, feel free. 
Now, one thing I will add is because so many kids with ADHD also have reading problems, again, like 50% of kids with ADHD have reading problems. If you are seeing any signs that your child is struggling either with the basic reading or the reading comprehension, I can't urge you enough to get a reading specialist in the mix, have your child looked at a reading specialist, a speech path, whether they're at school or in a private practice, don't wait on reading. If you know something's wrong, don't let the school talk you out of it. That's one of the best pieces of advice I can give. Thank you for that. I I, I believe, I agree with you. That's very important. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here, Dr. Resnick. This was awesome. We learned a lot today. I'm, I hope the parents got a lot of info out of this. I think they did. Um, Again, I'll link your book and website and everything in the show notes for people to find so they can um, find you in the world if they need you. Tristan, you're awesome. It was great spending time with you. Thank you. It was awesome to spend time with you as well. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, Make sure to subscribe so you see our new episodes and leave us a little rating and a review. And we'll chat with you guys later. Have a great rest of your day. 